My great privilege this morning to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious Word to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 24 together this morning, and I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Stand to hear the Word of God read, knowing that in the Scripture and in the Scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Oh Lord, teach us this morning. We we have sung this very morning that You change us. Lord, Your Gospel changes us. But Lord, not only have You changed us, You are in the work of changing us and You will change us. This is our lives in Christ. Testaments to Your grace. Testaments to Your abiding, relentless, never-ending love and care for Your people. Oh Lord, we praise You for it. We know this very morning the opportunity to come together and to pray and to sing and to be shaped by Your Word is yet another opportunity to testify and to understand better that relentless love. To know better this family that You've swept us into. Oh Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to feel it. Help it, Lord, to transform our inner being. Lord, we pray it all in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder as you think about your life, can you change? Can you be renewed? I know far too many people who think that the answer to those questions are no. They feel completely stuck. They feel trapped. They feel like they've tried all kinds of things and and here they still are. And they live with this Despair of sorts. That they are stuck. That they do not know this change that others speak of. But I want you to know today that this change that we are promised, that the Bible clearly calls us to, is not a to-do list that we check off. It's not some new program our plan. Now what we are called to do is to have minds that see differently in light of Christ. And to have new affections. Greater affections on Christ. See, the Bible promises this, this newness, this, this change, this, this hope. It is supposed to be within us no matter what situation we face. So much so that the one that we're considering this morning writes from a prison cell of this incredible hope, of this reality of change. But if we think about uh, what the Bible says elsewhere in the context of the New Testament, Romans 6.4 says that the, the believer is called to newness of life. Romans 7, 6, there, we live the new way of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, the believer is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hebrews 10.20 says we are called to a new and living way. Revelation 21.1 says we are headed to a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21.5 says that Jesus is the one who is making all things new. This newness is unavoidable in Christianity. This change that comes by this constant newness that is brought by the one who makes all things new. And remember in Ephesians that, that this message comes to us from, from this one who, who keeps reminding us that the God that we look to is the, the all God. Some 50 times in Ephesians, a, a sampling, it says that, that He is working all things according to the counsel of His will. That He is over all, through all, and in all. That He created all things. That all things uh, are summed up in Christ. That He is exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That He sits far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That all things are put in subjection under His feet. That He is the one who fills all in all. Now put these things together. This all God. This one who is over all. The one who rules all. Is the one who promises the newness of life for His people. You see, Ephesians is all about this change. This newness. In Paul the prisoner's letter to the churches at Ephesus, he has reminded them of of what God has done for us, in us, and among us. And it's stuff like this, and it all involves change and newness. There was a people who were dead, who are now alive. The ultimate change, the foundational change that bursts within us a hope that the difficulties of this world can't extinguish. If we stay with our affections on Christ, because if we have brought from death to life and we didn't have anything to do with it, then there is nothing in between that that can extinguish this hope. Because there is a newness that this God has the power to bring that we could never know apart from Him. And that newness is demonstrated in this letter by bringing a people who were outsiders, who didn't have the promises, who were looked down upon, who were mocked and ridiculed, and putting them into the family. And this newness was marked by a people who, who looked at one another and saw the ethnic distinctions and said, I will never have anything to do with that kind of person. And now he takes this, this disunity and he creates unity and those same people look at one another and say brother and sister change newness a path you would have never walked apart from him and after he unfolds all of these untold blessings of the gospel and he paints the picture of who the church is and the newness that he has already brought. Then he tells the church, okay, now become who you are. These things are the reality of what I have done. Walk it out in this world. Make your life congruent with the reality of what I've done. Put it on display. Live differently. Or we could say it like this. Be salt and light in a dark world. Do do you see how powerful this is? Not, Not only powerful, but but how liberating it is. Christianity is so utterly, absolutely, and completely unique. It doesn't give you this ladder 
and says, see how high you can climb. And the higher you climb, the better and more righteous you are. It says, I have climbed a ladder and come down to you, and I have done in my own person, the person of Jesus, everything that you will ever need. Here's what you do. Believe. And set your affections on one who would love sovereignly and graciously like that. Or as it puts it in Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Note, walking worthy is not how you get called. This calling you've already been called to, now walk it out in your life. Make sure your life displays someone who's gone from death into life by nothing but sovereign grace. Who was an outsider and is now a part of the family of God by nothing but the sheer mercy of God. One who looked at other people with selfish, self-centered eyes and made decisions about who was better and who was worse, who now has eyes to see that we are all sinful and hopeless apart from Christ and that everybody in Christ is now my brother. You walk that out. The worthy walk is always a walk into newness. The worthy walk is always carrying you places that you would not have gone if the gospel was not true. The worthy walk is this walk into newness, or as it says it in Ephesians 4.24, into a new self. Or it says in Ephesians 4.23, that is renewed in the spirit of your mind. But let's start out with Ephesians 4.17-19. And we see this. The old school. The old school. How did you learn who you were? How did you learn how to make it in the world? How did you learn how to draw conclusions about who you were? He reminds the the folks in the church at Ephesus here, these Gentiles, before they came to Christ, how did you make sense of the world? How did you make sense of who you are, you were in a school, in a school that was centered on particular things and led a particular place. The man that you were was because of the school that you were in and who you were listening to and who was teaching you and who you were becoming. The old school. Look at verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord. So Paul here has legal language. He says, I bear witness and I do it with authority and I do it with so much authority that what I'm willing, what I'm saying to you, I'm willing to invoke the presence of the Lord for the authority of what I say to you. And then he says this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But, but Paul is writing to Gentiles. How can he say, do not walk as the Gentiles do, when he's writing to Gentiles? Because there is something that has happened to these Gentiles that he's writing to, that they are to see themselves as something more important than Gentiles, where the Gentile part of who they are is the footnote, and the reality of who they are is more important And the reality of who they are is in Christ. The in Christ has now transcended all of the things that they held on to for their identity in terms of their ethnic and cultural identity. Didn't erase it. It transformed it. Do you see that? He says... You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, there was a way of life that you embraced as living among a people called Gentiles apart from Christ, and that way of life must now be rejected. You cannot walk out just simply the things that you learn because of the culture that you're from, because of the background that you're from, because of the people that you are from. Something has happened to you, and now something is more important than all of that. And in fact, it transforms all of that, so you can be all of that to the glory of God, instead of being that in rebellion to God. 
lot of discussions today about things like race and all these things. And, and some people want to act like you can just erase race. No, we never called to do that. We're to celebrate that, that one day there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We are celebrating that glorious diversity forever. But other people want to act like they can still put their ethnic or racial identity ahead of their faith, or, or, or that that's a, their faith is a footnote to the other. That must absolutely be rejected as well. We see one another for who they are. I'm not seeing you and your, your, your skin's a different color than me. I'm pretending like it's not. Why would I do that? You're from a different country than I am. I'm pretending like you're not. No! Praise God. Look at the expanse of God's grace. All kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of diversity unified by the truth of the gospel. The way the Gentiles formerly walked is they said, I'm a Gentile, therefore I disregard these Jews who treat me like this. And the Jews likewise said the Gentiles are dogs. And he says, listen, if any of you are coming into this, you are repudiating that. Christianity never makes any peace with any notions of ethnic superiority, no matter what they're rooted in. Christianity starts with wherever you're from, now you say, there is nothing about me that commends me to God. My only hope is Christ. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You have an identity now in Christ that has transformed who you are. And that former condition, he says, is marked by emptiness. Look at this. In the futility of their minds. The the word means emptiness, pointlessness, vanity. It is life without any real meaning or goal. It it does not mean that it is not filled with anything. It means it's filled with all kinds of stuff that leads nowhere. Futile, busy but empty, active but lost, willing to try all kinds of things and everything, but always ending up dissatisfied, disaffected, longing for more. You see, this futility of the mind of living apart from Christ, no matter what path it is, always promises things, but it never leads to where you really want to go. It always leaves you longing because at the end of the day, apart from Christ, whatever path you embrace is ultimately a path you embrace. It is self-referential. It has you at the center. And that is always a path that leads to hopelessness and pointlessness. And there is this horrible despair that people know, I am trying everything and I can't find meaning and purpose. I'm trying everything. And it just all doesn't seem to make any sense. You see, apart from Christ, everything... Somebody may say, well, I mean, my life has some meaning and and purpose and, and I reject Christ and maybe for a time. But hear this. Anything that you find meaning and purpose in in this life to the exclusion of Christ, you will one day lose for eternity. Now that is hopelessness. You say, oh no, I I reject Christ, but but man, family is really important to me. I'm really committed to my... But but look at my achievements and my job. Look, Look at what I've accumulated. Do you see that? If you do try to eke out some meaning and purpose apart from Christ, then those very things you cling to, which will ultimately prove hollow, will one day be stripped away from you forever. Emptiness. But secondly, the cause of this darkness Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, their reasoning. They they are darkened. They they can't see. They're blind. Then he says, cut off or alienated from the life of God. 
cut off from the life of God. Spiritually cut off from God is to be in darkness, to be blind, to be spiritually dead. And then he says this, because of the ignorance, that is lack of knowledge, it's, it's not uh, uh, any sort of inability to understand, it's a lack of having the knowledge, the ignorance that is in them. They have no awareness to provide themselves what they actually need. To be apart from Christ, he says, when you were in your former state, you looked at all of these things, but ultimately your life was empty because you were living in darkness. You were living in ignorance. You were living cut off from the living God. And that is to be spiritually dead. But notice the consequence. Dullness. Look at verse 18 as it continues. Due to the hardness of heart. The hardness, the, a heart that does not feel. A hard heart. Ezekiel 36.26 talks about those who are not in right relationship with God and it says that they have a heart of stone. A heart that does not feel. A heart that does not beat for the things that glorify God. A God, heart that is hard against God, that is alienated from God, that is in darkness and emptiness. Verse 19, they have become callous. That means past feeling. I played baseball my whole life and, and I had this callus right here that was, had dirt underneath it and it took me, about, took me about 15 years of not playing baseball very much anymore for that callus to go away. You could have stuck a knife in there. I didn't feel anything. It says here that, that, that they have become callous. They, they are past feeling. What 1 Timothy 4.2 calls a seared conscience. No sensitivity to the things of God. Jeremiah 6.15 talks about those who don't even know to blush. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sensuality, shamelessness. What rejects decency. It's unrestrained actions. This is like Romans 1 talking about God giving people up to themselves. God giving people up to the desires of their own heart. And you have this unrestrained abandonment to sin. There is a a no hiding sin among those who have given themselves up to sensuality. And we see that all around today. There's a greediness, an insatiableness, a, a, a with no regard to others to practice every kind of impurity, every kind of, of riotous immorality, every kind of uncleanness. And by the way, fundamentally, nothing has changed today. You see, to be apart from Christ. It's to be empty, dark, and to live a life dull to the things that matter most, which always leads to a recklessness. You know, we don't like feeling pain, but if we couldn't feel pain, it would be a curse, not a blessing. There's some people who have a rare condition. They can't feel pain. And somebody has to monitor them all day, every day. Little child that can't feel pain would put his arm on a, a hand on a hot fire on the stove. Doesn't feel it. It's not a good thing to be dulled to the things that you ought to be sensitive to. This is the picture. James 4 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. By the way, as we see all of the things going on in the world, and the world looks and says, How do we have categories for this? Why would people act like this? We have categories for this. It breaks our heart. This is what the world looks like when, when you've Put yourself forward when you follow a path that rejects the true and living God. It is empty, dark, and dull. And things that ought to affect you don't affect you the way that they should. You see, in this life, the motivation is always the same. Fear and pride. 
It doesn't mean that people who are darkened and dull and empty in this way don't do plenty of good things. It doesn't mean they don't make good neighbors. It means that even when they do good things, their motivations are rebellion against God. Fear. Fear for one's status and one's some name. If I'm climbing that ladder, I've got to keep climbing, so I've got to keep doing these things. And and so it's to make a name for oneself or, or pride. Look at who I am. I'm the type of person that does things like this. And all of that is a form of slavery because you never know if you've done enough. Isn't it the beauty of Christianity? I mean, that, that, that never knowing, have I done enough? Have I earned enough? Have I made my way? And I know how bad I am. I'm pretending to be good, and I'm trying to convince myself I'm, I'm doing enough. And Christianity just says, away with that. This is what God has done for you. Has He done enough? Yes and Amen. Motivation of fear and pride is always down the wrong path. Empty, dark, and dull. You see, this is the way one thinks apart from Christ. This is the story that one is telling themselves. The, the way you interpret these things. What will happen to you? This self-focus promises freedom, but always the reality is it's a trap. It's bondage. It's a prison. Always empty and longing. That brings us to verses 20-24. through 24. The new school. We are to learn Christ. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you, and all these yous are y'all, by the way. Assuming that you have heard, I'm not going to read the word about. It's not in the Greek. It's here to make it smoother in English. The KJV, the NASB, the NEB do not translate the word about here because it's not there. No, there's something much more powerful being said here. Assuming that you have heard Him and were taught in Him or by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Or the direct article is not there either. As truth is in Jesus. Now, Now, all of this is said in such a way that there's all kinds of phrases here that don't appear anywhere else. This, this school that you were in, no, did you hear the language? Learned Christ. Have heard Him. Taught by Him. All this educational language. But, 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 but it does not start with learning about Christ. It does not start with learning the doctrine of Christ. Learning teachings about Christ. It says that is not the way you learned Christ. The, the language is specific here. It doesn't appear anywhere else. So we, we know what it means to say, I, I learned piano. I learned engineering. I learned algebra. I learned history. But learned Christ? Learned a person? Yeah. Hey, you, you, you could say it. I, of all the people I've learned, I've learned Judy. I hadn't got her figured out. I think I do. And it's always like, what? What? I thought you did. Okay. Yeah, I'm still learning. I got a feeling I'm always going to be learning. But, but, but I've learned Judy. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't just know things about Judy. There is an essence to her life. There, there's, a, there's a soul. There's stuff that animates her inner being. That's not just knowing about her. I'm not, I wouldn't just give you a biography of her. If you want me to talk about her, I know what makes her tick for the most part. I've learned Judy. He says here, that's not the way you learned Christ. You are in this school of Christ and you never graduate. We are to learn Christ, not just about Christ. There are many people who know about Christ who live in rebellion to Christ. But this learning Christ is more than that. 
Oh, it can include learning things about Christ. It must. But our goal is not information and abstract ideas. Our goal is that our lives and hearts would be tethered to the person of Christ. The Messiah. The Deliverer. The cosmic one who came as a king to deliver his people and will reign forever and ever. We want to learn Christ. I love Spurgeon's words here. What a beautiful expression this is, he says. It does not say learn the doctrine of Christ or the precept of Christ, though that were a great truth. But we learn Christ himself. Our school book is Christ. The copy by which we write is Christ. The image to which we desire to be conformed to is Christ. He says here, you have not so learned Christ. You see, this this way of Christ is contrary to the way of the Gentiles. It's being contrasted here. The you or the y'all. It's contrasted to the way of the Gentiles. The way of Christ. The you learned Christ. By the way, the verb here is past action. You learned Christ. It's already happened. That's why I'm writing to you, he says. The church are the people who learned Christ. But you keep on learning Christ. We live in the already but not yet. One day there will be the consummation of the kingdom. And we will live in the very presence of Christ outside of the presence of sin. And we will know Him in a new and profound way. And until then, we want to know Him more. We are always in this process of learning Christ. We want to get inside. We want to learn what makes Jesus the Christ tick. We don't just want distant information about Him. We don't just want to learn some facts about Him. We don't want to be obsessed with our own life and think that we can drag some facts in here that will help us with our own agenda. We want Christ. Do you see it? The reason many feel trapped, the reason many know that your life is not changing, is that you think this is really about some some random sort of facts that you drag into your life. It's not. This God who's revealed Himself in Ephesians, who is at work in eternity past, and is at work in eternity future, who's done this sovereign work of adoption, who is sealed by the very very Holy Spirit of God, do you think that the God revealed in Ephesians could be your assistant? Amen, brother. I'm a little bit worried you're the only one who responded. It's okay. You can call him to be your assistant. That's what you do when you think, I've got this, I know the way things should be, and things should happen like this, and if God loves me, it'll happen like this, so let me try to, to get some things over here to make sure this happens. That's God as your assistant. That's not the God revealed in Ephesians. If you believe this God revealed in this letter, then you sit in a prison cell and you're overwhelmed with the wonder and glory of who He is and what you're doing and the power that you possess. You see, when you believe this God, you know that an unjust prison cell has not diminished or dampened His power and His power in which He uses you. Guess what? That's a radical change. Do do you see that? Do Do you feel it? If you think, well, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I'm going through... Are you unjustly imprisoned? Probably not. You wouldn't be here. That's the change. That's learning Christ. You think that's the way Paul was before he met Christ on the road to Damascus? Oh no, kill these people. Why kill these people? Because my people are superior and we've got to put down this uprising because look at all the achievements I had. And then Paul meets Christ on the the road to Damascus and he looks at all those achievements and he says, dung. It's learning Christ. But that's not the way he says here you learn Christ. Verse 21. Assuming that you or y'all 
have heard Him. Oh, you learn Christ, you, you hear Him. Christ is the one who calls. Christ is the one who speaks. Paul elsewhere in, in 1 Thessalonians says, I am so thrilled that we, we preach to you and you did not hear it as a word from us, but you heard it as a word from God, which it really is. You hear Christ. When the Bible is faithfully preached, when you are convicted by the power of the Spirit, it is the voice of Christ you respond to. When you share the Gospel with your friend and you are faithful to share the truth of the Gospel based on the biblical testimony, you are not calling them to respond to your words. You are calling them to respond to Christ. And if they come to faith in Christ, it's because not that they heard you, but they heard Christ. This is what's happening. But you've got to believe it. You've got to lean into it. You've got to reorder your life in light of it. He says, listen, if the church are those who have learned Christ, who have heard Him, and then he says, and we're taught in Him or by Him, and then as the truth is in Jesus, but the definite article is not there in the Greek, as truth is in Jesus. Meaning that, that this truth in Jesus is not just the doctrinal truths that we have in the Scripture, though that must be understood all in light of Jesus, makes no sense apart from Him, is only understood rightly in light of Christ. Every doctrinal truth in the Bible has its mediating point of right understanding in light of Christ. The whole Bible is ultimately about Christ. It leads us to Christ. But he's saying that that all spheres of truth that have ever existed are only understand rightly in light of Jesus. This is why the book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Oh, you can have tons of knowledge in terms of the way the world reckons knowledge. But apart from Christ, it is always fundamentally flawed. The only way to make sense out of the world, to know the true story of the world, is to know it in light of Christ. Paul was brilliant. Paul was taught by the best teachers. When he met Christ, he repudiated the way he had been taught to see the world. He repudiated it. And instead of wanting to kill people he wanted to kill, now he would say about himself to live as Christ and to die as gain. Is that newness? Change? Hope? It's always that that's the way this works. We, we hear Him. We learn Him. We are taught by Him. And to be taught by Him is not we learn some random moral and ethical principles, but we understand everything in light of Jesus. Everything has reference to Christ. Paul's understanding of the Old Testament led him to persecute believers until he came to know Christ. And now the very text that he used to justification to persecute believers, he preached as teaching about Jesus. He was right the second time. They were about Christ. Everything is about Christ. I wish I could say it better. I wish I could say it more clearly. I wish I could say it more faithfully. Look at verse 22. We learn Christ and the call is to be renewed. And the renewing comes by putting off and putting on which the next section is going to deal with in more detail. He says, to put off your, y'all's, old self. Now, the, the phrase about learning, learn Christ, doesn't appear anywhere else in the literature of the day. Very unique to this section. This idea here of putting on and putting off is, is replete throughout the religious literature of the day, throughout the philosophers of the day, but it's always putting on or putting off character. It's always putting on or putting off virtues. It's not 
Put off your old self. Put off your old man. That is completely unique here. He keeps saying what he's saying here, not in the ways of traditional education, but try slightly tweaked so you will understand that this school in Christ, what you learn here, you can't learn anywhere else. What is happening here, no one else understands. What does it mean to put off your old self? Uh, put off your old man? Well, there was a school that produced you to be the man that you are. There are ways that you walk that out. And now, you learn Christ. You hear Him. You're taught by Him. And so now you walk in different ways. So that is why we have the put off and put on. We can never just put off. It doesn't work that way. So if you put off one thing, no, I'm not going to do this. You're called to do something else. It's the action of what it means to walk out our faith. We'll spend some time on that next week. But it's as simple as this. Let's say you were, you were at a school in, in Alaska in the coldest part of Alaska, you changed schools, and you went to a school in Miami, Florida. These clothes ain't going to work here. You need new clothes. You not only need new clothes, you're, you're going to have to learn some stuff different. In fact, for the first time, you're going to be in the sun and enjoy life. That was just my personal take on it. And the food's going to be way better. But right, you, you, can't, you can't bring all the stuff here, here, and walk it out. You can't. If you wear those coats you wore in the coldest part of Alaska, you're going to be hospitalized in Miami, Florida. That's the way it is. He says, listen, if you do not live any longer as the Gentiles do, but you learn Christ, it's going to demand some new clothes. You're going to have to put off some stuff and put on some stuff. It's going to produce a new you who sees things differently. You can't live the old way in the new place. You can't be the old man if you're the new man. You can't take the lessons of that school and apply them to this school. You put off your old self. You become a new you. And the idea here is just that your, your identity is solidified in Christ. The new you is not something that is centered on you. It says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, the message here is that the renewal comes through Christ. Christ is the messenger, Christ is the medium, Christ is the message, Christ is the content, Christ is the teaching, Christ is the teacher, Christ is the principal, Christ is the professor, Christ is the curriculum, Christ is the teaching, Christ is the training, Christ is the center, Christ is the purpose, Christ is the goal, and Christ is the end of all of our lives. So if we're going to be renewed, and we are learning Him, hearing Him, being taught by Him. That means we're going to put off and we're going to put on. We're going to be new people. Verse 23, and to be renewed. By the way, that's a passive. It's a divine passive. This renewal that happens in our lives, we don't cause. It's something that God does. It's by His grace, not only that we're saved and justified, His grace is what sanctifies us, and His grace will be what glorifies us. And to be renewed, notice here, in the spirit of your minds. You notice how much Paul talks about the mind. How you, how you think out the world, how you see the world, how you, you think the story of the world is, and, and therefore you put the story of your life in. The circumstances that you have, what story do you put that in? It is so much about this thinking. And he talks about this renewal, this constant newness in the spirit of your minds. The, the spirit, the, the controlling center, the direction, the heart, the root of your minds. And it's simply this, that the renewal means that, that there is a fullness that is coming Christ that means you are not empty. There is a light that is coming Christ that means you are not in darkness. 
There is an aliveness and a sensitivity that comes when we are learning Christ. That means that our lives are not dull. We are are a new self. Our identity is in Christ. And therefore, it's not like we we have a to-do list and we've got a a new plan or program that we're going to work out. It's going to be that we walk out the reality of who we are. Verse 24, and put on the new self. Not just put on virtues, but put on the new self, put on the new man. Created after the likeness of God. Refers back to creation, there was a fall into sin. Man was created in the likeness of God, but fell into sin, and therefore was not in right relationship with Him. God's at work in the world, saving a people. He's creating a new community called the church, and these people are constantly being renewed and being made new in the likeness of God. And that's what it says at the end here, in true righteousness and holiness, our devotion. God changes the direction of your thinking. Let me me put it in sort of three assertions here. The, the change comes from the inside out. That's so important. It comes from the inside out. We, we, are, we are putting off and we are putting on, but, but all of that is driven by the affections of our heart that are rooted in Christ. The, the change comes from the inside out. It's not an external something somebody hands to us. We love self-help and, and that's got a place in the world. This is not a self-help program. This is renewal. This is regeneration. The change happens from the inside out. And secondly, the change transforms your thinking. And you're to lean into that. You're going to understand the, the, the new thinking that you have all the better the more you lean into it. The more you walk it out and act on it. Far too many times we, we have a sense in which... which We know what we ought to do, but we feel like we don't want to do it, so we don't do it. And then we wonder why we aren't being renewed. Do it. Your gut is not Lord. Jesus is. Obey Him. I always say that your problems with the Bible are not the things you don't understand. They're the things you do understand and you refuse to do. Transform your thinking. And thirdly, live captivated by Christ. Captivated by Christ. Not captivated by yourself and trying to use Christ to get somewhere. Captivated by Christ. That's the pathway to change. You know, uh, somebody, somebody says, oh, oh, I'm nothing and... and uh, you know, one way to respond is, oh, no, no, you're great, you're wonderful. Another said, well, no, I know, I don't do this and I haven't done this, so, so I'm nothing. The Bible comes in and the Bible thunders and says, there's a, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it ain't because you're great. It, 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 the motivation apart from Christ is always fear. Oh, oh, I'm nothing. Look, I, I don't do this and I don't get this recognition and, and, and I, I, I've got to do this to be somebody. The fear and pride are always this sort of, of, of two sides of, of one coin and it's always messing things up and, and the Bible comes in and says, uh, no, no, you, it's, it's wrong. You, it, it's not that you are nothing. In Christ, you have no condemnation. But yeah, it's not because of you, it's because of Him. We say, shoo, because if it was a part of me and I thought like this before, I would still be wondering, am I something enough? No, you're not, but Christ is, and you are in Christ. Do you see the way the Gospel changes and transforms everything? And all these issues that we, we address. You know, well, why do you lie? You, you lie because you think you deserve more than you're getting. You lie because you lack courage and you're wriggling out of something. You you you. you Lie because you, you feel like you're going to lose something if you don't. And the gospel doesn't come in and say, you know, just, just be more honest. The gospel comes in and says, there's one who is the truth. And any lie is rebellion against him. But if you've lied, confess your sins and turn to him and you can be forgiven. 
You see, this is liberation. But it takes learning Christ. It takes leaning into it. In light of recent events, I I read a book um, this week called Son of Hamas. It's about a guy whose whose father helped found the Hamas terrorist group. His, His grandfather helped found the Muslim Brotherhood, which led to ultimately Hamas. And he was sort of being groomed to be a leader in Hamas. And so, uh, long story short, he eventually sees that this is not trying to help our people. This is, this is not good. And so he ends up becoming a spy for Shin Beth, which is an intelligence agency of Israel. So here's this guy whose father is a Muslim leader. He is seen as a leader, but he is working in intelligence for Israel. Right? Pretty unique guy here. He doesn't says they don't do everything right, but but they are trying to stabilize the area. And so then he says he gets invited to a Bible study. And he says, "Well, I'm a Muslim who's hanging out with the infidel Jews and working for them. Let me find out what the infidel Christians think." And he goes to a Bible study, and the first thing he reads in the Bible is, "Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you." And he said, that is not Islam. And that is not Judaism. But that is something I have never heard before, but I want to know more about. He just starts reading his Bible. Just reading his Bible. And he used the very phrase, I started learning Christ. And he says, I stopped doing things that I was doing, not because I just decided to stop doing them, but I couldn't do them anymore because I heard the words of Jesus in my head. He said, this started happening before I became a Christian. This way of Jesus, he said, was so captivating, I couldn't escape it. And then eventually he put his faith in Christ. What can lead... Someone to walk away from everything they've known and the power that they have? Christ. What can be so captivating that one is willing to risk everything for it? Christ. But here's what he did. He learned Christ. He heard Him. And he was taught by Him. And anyone who does that will change and have hope no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your perfect and precious word. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for everyone gathered here. May we respond to Christ today. May we respond to your voice. Oh Lord, whatever that means, whether it's to put our faith in Christ for the first time, whether it's to to put off and to put on, whether it's to, to become a member of this fellowship, whether it's just to pray about some need or some burden. May we listen to you and may we respond accordingly. In Christ's name we pray, amen.